I believe in Christ, he is my king. With all my heart to him I'll sing. I'll raise my voice in praise and joy, in grand amens my tongue employ. Scriptures reveal the divine desires of the Lord in our behalf. Each of us should have a burning desire to search the scriptures diligently and daily to seek the will of the Lord in our life. Brothers and sisters, on very thin pages, thick with meaning, are some almost hidden scriptures. Hence, we are urged to search, feast, and ponder. If you are lonely, please know you can find comfort. If you are discouraged, please know you can find hope. If you are poor in spirit, please know you can be strengthened. If you feel you are broken, please know you can be mended. The first section in this lesson is we can live righteously despite the wickedness around us. And I think Mormon's actually an excellent, excellent example of this. And he talks about how even as a young boy, you know, he was basically Emeron says, I perceive that thou art a sober child and are quick, art quick to observe. And so it's a, a kid that he, he identifies has potential to, to do more than just maybe what all the other people are doing. And he tells him, you know, when you're 24 years old, I want you to write down the things that you've observed. I find it interesting that he kind of tells him to wait until that, that time period, you know, almost like, I don't want you to just write down stuff to write down stuff. I, I want you to have some experience first. You know, I want you to have, even though you're a smart kid, I want to make sure that you're, you're a mature adult before you start making reflections on what's going on right now. But he's surrounded by all kinds of horrible things, you know, and really is able to be basically the one stalwart person that everyone can rely on to the point where they put him in charge of the army at age 15 or 16 or whatever it was. I think it was 15. Because um, they trust him and because he was large in stature, of course. But it's just interesting that despite the fact that essentially everyone is in iniquity around him, he was able to to remain stalwart. And I think it's in, in chapter 1, verse 15. It says, and I being 15 years of age and being somewhat of a sober mind, therefore I was visited of the Lord and tasted and knew of the goodness of Jesus. And I think that there he's referring to uh, to Lehi's dream, right? He's tasted of the fruit, kind of like. That's how I got it. He had, he's making reference to that. Like I, I, I got a taste for what the Lord can do and the goodness of, the, of Jesus. And um that made it so that he could stay faithful, even even though everyone else around him was incredibly wicked. Yeah, I you know the thought I had about Mormon. I was um, fascinated by the fact that I can't find the verse, but it mentioned that once they went to these cities, that they were innumerable. The people there were innumerable, like yeah. the sands of the sea, like they were these vast civilizations it's in verse seven yeah. and yeah and um 
yeah, the face of the land became covered with buildings. And so Mormon was chosen here for two things. One was to be the record keeper and kind of the prophet. He was called of God and, 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 and uh, given charge over the records. And the second one was to be a military leader. And that was, was more by the people. And when I think about the, it was covered with buildings, it makes me think that he wasn't their last choice. And he wasn't just another guy that they picked randomly. He must have been excellent and surpassed many others in many forms that made him stand out. And then I think, and my other thought was, where did he learn to write? Because mm. uh, write and edit and read, would, would that have been a very common thing for anybody to know uh, in these civilizations? It could be, it could be. It could have, they could have been very, very literal. Or if it follows other similar cultures, it's a thing that maybe a higher class of people knew how to do, you know, which to me, it, it just seems like, to, it seems like Mormon was chosen and the Lord placed him in the situations. Even when he says at this certain age, his dad moved him back to the land near Sarahamla, you know, mm -hmm. where the plates he was told he needed to get. I don't know how much of that his dad knew, how much of that. And it was, you know, you, we can view it, and, and there's definitely design, and he was meant to and foreordained to do this task, right? But I, I was just impressed that he's in a very difficult situation. His, he has righteous parents. He has to have. I, I'd like to think he had righteous parents. But if not, that makes it even more impressive <laughs> that he went and developed talents, developed talents that were spiritual and, and needed, and then also develop practical talents, like the ability to write, the ability to read, to edit, and the ability to compile records and, and do these things, and the ability to lead military armies. These civilizations, you can tell, they were very well versed in warfare. Yeah. So it wasn't just, we're going to wing it, and then we're, they, they probably had strategies, and they had ways of doing things, and and, and the organization and you know a lot of so he wasn't he wasn't he doesn't come off to me as like someone who squandered their time or or viewed all this wickedness and said well i'm just gonna tread water it feels to me as if he's someone who viewed all the wickedness and said i'm gonna find a way of succeeding and contributing anyway yep. which is for me i often feel like there's a sentiment especially in our time and, and in in rising generations as we're in this in this um, COVID era and this political election upheaval you know in in uh, we we've news stories about abuse and and and, and uh, you know corruption and, and children being being uh, mistreated and so forth there's almost like the sentiment of why should we even try? Life sucks, then you die. <laughs> um, there's no point because the system is so bad that it's keeping us down. You know, there's no point in in trying. There's that you know you can't succeed. You know, it's always. Uh, and I look at Mormon and I say 
he knows a little bit about being raised in a difficult time when the outlook looks very bleak. And even towards the end of this, you're going to see he even was right. He knew what was happening and he saw and lived the destruction of this people. But he still had hope and he had hope. Even when hope was lost for his people and his generation, he still had hope in future generations. What we are going through, I'm going to write it down so others may learn. So you can be wiser than us. So you can understand, you know, that these, the good, all these good things that happen to the people here continue to carry on and can teach another generation. That was kind of a long thought. But... <laughs> no, I think that, that there's a lot to that, that he, I think he was probably, when he was identified by Emron as being, you know, this bright young child, I think that was probably the beginning of maybe his training. Because I don't think Emron would be like, listen, you're a smart kid. When you're 24, take over the scriptures. Good luck. I'm pretty sure he probably brought him in, maybe even taught him how to read and write in um, Reformed Egyptian, which is what he was reading and writing in. And taught him, you know, here's kind of what to look for. Here's what what's important. And obviously he was a man of God. So he probably also taught him this is the kind of stuff that we want in the Book of Mormon eventually, in this book. The the mandate is to write down a record of the people, but also to abridge it and also to maintain the, the testimony of Jesus Christ. I, I thought it was, um, I was going to mention how in verse um, 12 of chapter 2 and 11, when, when he's looking at the people lamenting, and they, even in verse 10, they quote the prophecy of Samuel the Lamanite or Samuel the prophet, which says that uh, people weren't able to keep their possessions because there were so many robbers that everything became just so corrupted. And he even mentions there were thieves, robbers, murderers, and magic art and witchcraft. So there's a lot of deception and a lot of getting gain because I can get it. You know, not what's right, but if I can take advantage of somebody, I'm going to try to take advantage of somebody. Which caused the people to lament and mourn. And then in verse 12, there's a little bit of hope where he says, kind of, I saw their lamentations, their mournings, and their sorrow before the Lord. And my heart did rejoice within me, knowing that the mercies and long suffering of the Lord. Therefore, supposing that he would be merciful unto them, and he would again become, and they would become, become a righteous people. So at first he thinks... They're lamenting, they're regretting, they're seeing that this is not the right way of living. That this isn't, doesn't give forth good environment, good neighborhoods, good good relationships, you know. And then there's a hope that maybe they can repent. This will be a wake-up call. But then in 13, he says, And my joy was in vain, for their sorrows was not unto repentance. Because the goodness of God, it, it was rather the sorrow of the damned, because the Lord would not always suffer them to take happiness in their sin. I, I think I felt some of that myself sometimes. Like, I wish I could be happy not changing some of my habits. But I can't. And you can either become bitter and say, well, why won't you just let me be happy in my ignorance type of thing. It, but this is amongst a civilization, amongst a whole group of people. And you look at this, I, I kind of compare this a lot to our current situation with COVID. We know that calamities occur and a lot of and, and we can use them as an opportunity to soften our hearts, to turn to the Lord. And the hope is, is that when things like these happen, people will turn to the Lord 
more and repent and, and take it as a wake-up call. Or the other side of it, people can turn it and become more bitter. Well, yeah, I, the fact that, like you said, the, pe- the people wanted to have happiness and sin. I think really what that is, in my perspective, is that they they know how much effort it's going to take for them to change their ways. They know that it's going to be kind of a long road to go back. And they're like, why can't I just go halfway? You know, what do I have to do everything right in order to be happy? And I think that Mormon's a little bit disheartened by this. He even says in verse 14, and they did not come unto Jesus with broken hearts and contrite spirits, but they did curse God and wish to die. Nevertheless, they would struggle with the sword for their lives. He's like, that's why we're in this mess. That's why we keep having to have all these battles and wars and why from age 15 I have to be guiding armies and such is because they don't, they aren't repentant. They don't care. They don't really want to change. They don't really want to be better. And so that's why we're in this mess. It's as simple as that. And then in verse 15, and it did come to pass that my sorrow did return unto me again. And I saw the day of, of grace was passed with them, both temporally and spiritually. For I saw thousands of them hewn down in open rebellion against their God and heaped up his dung upon the face of the land, and thus 340 years have passed away. And he's saying, you know, the demise of this people is because they aren't wanting to just follow the commandments, just follow what God wants them to do, that they would rather continue on with their murders and magic art and witchcraft and whatever, and not not comply. I, I find it interesting that he... he wanted to go preach to them and yet was constrained right the lord basically tells him no that they're kind of past that we're we're past that point he wanted to go teach them he wanted to go you know he he had studied the book the the scriptures and wanted to go be a positive influence and in this in this sense in this context the best thing he could do was just live a good life be a good example and do what he could to benefit his people. But I, I don't think this has happened a whole lot in the history of the world where things are pretty much past. They're, they're past the point of redemption. The people have no desire to be repentant. They would rather just uh, somehow have joy in sin. And uh, man, I, I just see this guy, if he had been born, if Mormon had been born another time, he would have been another Alma, another Moroni, another, you know, one of these guys that goes out and converts hundreds of thousands of people or whatever. But he is where he's meant to be. And he's the positive influence that he can be at that time. Well, it's, it's also the people rejecting his message or, you know, the message of the Lord, or rejecting the Lord, is not any disparagement on Mormon. Like he... Um, huh? He, he did exactly what he was commanded to do. And, and in chapter 3, in, in verse 2, and it says, And it came to pass that the Lord did say unto me, Cry unto this people, Repent, and come unto me, and be ye baptized, and build up again my church, and be ye spared. So they're giving here perfect uh, solution to their problems. And verse 3, And I did cry unto this people, but it was in vain, and they did not realize that it was the Lord that had spared them and granted unto them a chance 
for repentance. And behold, they did harden their hearts. So they're going through a lot of these terrible wars. And every now and then they get success. And as soon as they get a little bit of success, they think, start to think, we're, we're, we're strong again. We, we got this. It's almost like they get a breather so they can say, this is what it would be like. You're not beyond being able to be and get out of this situation. There's still hope, but will you repent? And then they choose not to, and they continue to gather. And, and I can feel for Mormon and then later Moroni who are, and there are several righteous individuals who are doing the best they can and leading the people and exhorting them. And, and, uh, and they even, it's almost like they even decide we're going to die with them. We're going to go, even when he doesn't want to command them for being wicked, he, it says he repents of that feeling and then decides, I will command you one last time. And so will my son. And so will all these individuals. And let's do one final battle on the Hill Camorra, right? And, and 24 of them are spared. <laughs> and then they're kind of hunt, hop, uh, hunted down the rest of their days. I want to, in verse 9, is kind of what you're talking about. Um, it says, and now because of this great thing which my, which my people, the Nephites, had done, they began to boast in their own strength and began to swear before the heavens that they would avenge themselves of the blood of their brethren who had been slain by their enemies. And they did swear by the heavens and also by the throne of God that they would go up in battle against their enemies and would cut them off from the face of the land. So they had some success. He really full of themselves. They say, all right, we're just going to go and knock them out. We're just going to wipe them out now, now that we're, we have the upper hand. And, it's, and Mormons like, and it came to pass that I, Mormon, did utterly refuse from this time forth to be a commander and leader of this people because of the wickedness and abomination. Behold, I had led them, notwithstanding their wickedness, I had led them many times to battle and had loved them according to the love of God, which is in me with all my heart. And my soul had been poured out in prayer unto my God all the day long for them. Nevertheless, it was without faith because of the hardness of their hearts. And thrice I have delivered them out of the hands of their enemies, and they have repented not of their sins. And when they had sworn by all that had been forbidden them by our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, that they would go up into their enemies to battle and avenge themselves of the blood of their brethren, behold, the voice of the Lord came unto me, saying, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay. And because this people repented not after I delivered them, behold, they shall be cut off from the face of the earth. And I think Mormons, like, he, he's like, they, don't, they still don't realize that every time they've been delivered from the hands of their enemies, it's because of the help of God. And it's because I was leading them and God was helping me lead them to, to victory. They still don't realize that. And so they still want to go back out. And I'm like, you know what? No, we're not doing this again. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lead you again because this is you're still not getting the reason why you're successful it has nothing to do with you. Well, it also there's also a really bad toxicity here where they decide almost that they're gonna fight fire with fire. Yeah, you know, like the Gadianton robbers or, or the Lamanites or whomever, right? These the, the bad guys are wicked and, and mean, and they're driving them and doing terrible things. And then once they taste success, it's like then they swear, we're going to avenge ourselves. We're going to make them pay. We're going to make them feel what we felt. And that sentiment is a, is a, alive and well in our day. Yeah. And we need to be very careful that we, especially us of the church, as we have wrong things done to us, 
that we also don't become well the same we don't become and use the same tactics that we were hurt with and i see this a lot in discussions or in in uh, arguments when people they they clash in their ideologies and ideas and and in in people they just they they're using the same tactics against each other they're just substituting their beliefs into them and and whether good or bad and and what's happening what i got out of that part where mormon said no i won't be part of this anymore it's kind of like the ends don't justify the means we have to continue to be the people of god we cannot become so you know one vilify the enemy so much that we become the villains ourselves and we then justify our atrocious actions because they did it to us first it's like fighting fire with fire and it's it's really bad i I just think also that we we fall victim to this as well like you were saying there's a lot of times when something goes really well in our life and we start to think hey i got it all figured out now you know I've been struggling for so long, and now I finally got it figured out. And, and we, we, we start to neglect to recognize that maybe we did. Maybe our, our willingness to be obedient and to be humble and to be righteous did lead, lead to blessings. But then the blessing comes, and we're like, ha, see? We got it all figured out. And it's like, wait, 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 wait. This was still another blessing from God. This was because of God. And you have to give gratitude for that. You have to show gratitude for that. Because when we don't show gratitude, he'll take away what he's given us. I think that's what Mormon's getting to here is that they're not showing gratitude. If they had said, my gosh, it's obvious that we were successful because God helped us win. And God helped us overcome our enemies. And we need to give thanks. There would be a completely different outcome. They would be more willing to accept the gospel and be baptized and build up the church again because they'd be like, maybe if we do more of this, God will continue to help us. But instead, they do the opposite. They start saying, yeah, and now not only did we succeed, but we're going to go wipe out our enemies. And I think that's that's why he's most disappointed. Wiping out the Gadianta robbers is not <laughs> a bad thing. It's happened right. before. There's even been times when the Lord wouldn't help them until they had take, driven all these robbers and these secret combinations out of their midst. The, the action is not the problem. It's right. their heart. Are they seeking vengeance that is not for them to seek? Right. And they're doing the right thing at the wrong time, or which then turns into the wrong thing, right? They need to follow the Lord. They need to get their house in order first. They need to make their covenants and then the time may come when you need to go wipe them out, you know. But it isn't we wipe them out because it's the natural man instinct to seek revenge while we forget the Lord, continue to forget the Lord, do not make covenants, and don't have our heart in the right place, right? Right. And that's, I mean, you look back to Moroni, that's why he made the title of Liberty, so that everyone could be reminded why we're doing this. It's not just to get vengeance. It's not just to overcome people. We're doing this. For our wives, our our children, our liberty, our you know, our God, our religion, to to keep that in focus, we're not fighting this war just because we know we can wipe out our enemy. We're fighting this war for to protect these things that matter most, and clearly that's lost on these people completely. 
it's interesting when he he kind of steps out of telling the past in in verse 17. Therefore, I write unto you Gentiles, and also unto you house of Israel, when the work shall commence, that ye shall be about to prepare to return to the land of your inheritance. Yea, behold, I write unto the ends of the earth, yea, unto you the twelve tribes of Israel, who shall be judged according to the works by the twelve whom Jesus chose to be his disciples in the land of Jerusalem, and also unto the remnant of this people, who shall be also be judged by the twelve whom Jesus chose in this land, and ye shall be judged from the other twelve whom Jesus chose in the land of Jerusalem. And these things doth the Spirit manifest unto me. Therefore I write unto you all, and for this cause I write unto you, that ye may know that ye must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Yea, every soul who belongs to the whole human family of Adam, and ye must stand to be judged for your works, whether they be good or evil. And also that ye may believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, which ye have among you. And also that the Jews, the covenant people of the Lord, shall have other witness besides him whom they saw and heard, the Jesus whom they slew was the very Christ and the very God. I think really what he's seeing here is he's taking a step out of telling the story to be like, look, just so you know, we're all going to be judged for what we've done. And we will be judged according to the context that we were in and according to the information that we've been given. And I think he's doing that partly to tell himself remind himself that God is just. And even though things are crazy around him, and he probably feels like no one's paying attention, he knows that every single one of us, the whole human family of Adam, he says, will have to at some point stand and be judged for our works, whether they be good or evil. And I think it's important that he points out that the Jews will be judged by the 12 chosen by Jesus in Jerusalem, and his people will be chosen, will be judged by the other 12 that were chosen to show that it's all the same. It's all equal. Everyone has a fair shake and an equal opportunity. I think that's really important to him because I think he's looking around and just seeing how everything's kind of going crazy. And he needs a reminder that that God has has the plan, right? And it's, it's perfect. And it will be executed. That plan will be carried out. I just wonder, you know, because <laughs> every once in a while he kind of steps out and he's like, hold on, I just need to talk to the Gentiles and the people of the future. This is what it's going to be like. Just a reminder. There's this quote. Um, it was in this talk that Elder Bender gave one science camp. And then he, he then quotes President Benson. And it says, because I like, I don't know, I always think about science camp because at first, I thought it was such a weird story, you know, weird events. Why would you tell them? Why would you? There was this desire for the people to get vengeance, to right or wrong. And they had every right to, legally and morally and whatever. And the Lord kind of said, okay, if you want to do this, let's do this. But then he used the journey to teach them that the vengeance is his and Sometimes the deliverance doesn't come in the way you expect it. You know, that his ways are higher than our ways. We like to quote those scriptures. We like to say them, but it's really hard when you're the one living it. When you're the one that has kind of the, uh, you know, a horse in the race and you have maybe your property or it's your job or it's your discomfort that gets put on the line, not just something you're reading from Sunday school about someone else. 
when it's someone else, it's really easy to to say the right thing and feel the right thing. But when it's you that are being asked, so here's the quote. It says, every generation has its tests and its chance to stand and prove itself. Would you like to know of one of the one of our toughest tests? Here are the warnings, the warning words of Brigham Young. The worst fear I have about this people is that they will get rich in this country, forget God and his people, wax fat and kick themselves out of the church and go to hell. This people will stand mobbing, robbing, poverty, and all manner of persecutions and be true. But my greatest fear is that they cannot stand wealth. President Benson continues, ours then seems to be the toughest test of all, for the evils are more subtle, more clever. It all seems less menacing and it is harder to detect. While every test of righteousness represents a struggle, this particular test seems like no test at all, no struggle, and so could be the most deceiving of all tests. Do you know what peace and prosperity can do to a people? It can put them to sleep. The Book of Mormon warned us of how Satan in the last days would lead us away carefully down to hell. The Lord has on this earth some potential spiritual giants whom he's saved for 6,000 years to help better off the kingdom, bear off the kingdom triumphantly. And the devil is trying to put them to sleep. The adversary knows that he probably won't be too successful in getting them to commit many great malignant sins of commission. So he puts them into a deep sleep while he strands them with little sins of omission. And what good is the sleepy, neutralized, lukewarm giant as a leader? Hmm. And then it, it goes on from there. It's the, the pride cycle, the cycle of prosperity. Once we, we become mighty and we have great cities, we have great things, we tend to forget the Lord. We tend to kind of squeeze him out of our lives. Not intentionally, not like uh, these great sins of uh, commission, you know, or where, where we're purposely, oh, we're going to, but it's more these sins of omissions. We forget to do the little things. We forget to, like, sharpen our spiritual sword. We forget to take a little bit of time to read the scriptures. And, and slowly, you end up at a point where there's many people who have left the church that believe, that continue to believe it's true. But have, but staying away and not practicing and not actively, proactively trying to live the commandments and fill the spirit and help others is maybe the most detrimental thing that Satan can get you to do to be passive and to be lulled away and to not be involved. You know, and that's why I'm trying to say, like, as we read the Book of Mormon, these chapters one through six, we're seeing very dramatic, very, very high contrast events happening. And and it, this was written for our time. And in our time, well, although it is getting very dramatic, we can, it can be easy for us to not glean these lessons and see that they're very much applicable in our lives. You know, the way we talk with others, the way we deal with our enemies. There's a right way, there's a wrong way. The way that we put the Lord first, or we seek to solve a lot of these problems through many methods except the Lord's method. And the funny thing is the, Lord's, the Lord uses all those methods we would have used, all those tools. He uses academia. He uses established government practices. He uses, you know, 
our, our, our community. He, he uses those things, but trying to seek out those solutions without him is not going to yield the correct result. And we now have our heart in the right place. What the happiest people we read in, in uh, chapter in 14, the happiest people were the people that got rid of all the ites. The people are, that were completely united. And we went from a people that were completely united to people that are completely divided and wanting to curse God and die. And so if our tactics are to continuously divide and continuously push away and not to talk and convert and have long suffering and show a better example, then we are just, we're in trouble. I see a guy who's just so disappointed. Like he knows the potential of his people. He knows the, the promises made to them. And yet he looks everywhere around him and is just like, all I see is wickedness and death. And even saying something about how he doesn't want to, uh, in verse 8, I, Mormon, do not desire to harrow up the souls of men and casting before them such an awful scene of blood and carnage as was laid before mine eyes. But I, knowing that these things must surely be made known, and that all things which are that are hid must be revealed unto the housetops. So he's like, I don't, I don't really want to get into a whole lot of the details of what's happening right now. Just know that it's horrible and that I need to be talking about how bad things are so that you get a, a grasp for it but he's he's really trying to make sure that the scriptures are being carried on and we've seen his entire work everything that we've read so far has been his abridgment of who knows how many records right during all of this during all this war and stuff he's he's trying to compile everything into a book that makes sense and that shares the message that it's meant to share and i just I mean, that's already a monumental task, but then just imagine if you're doing this in the middle of arguably some of the worst conditions. Uh, it's it's clear that he was definitely helped by God to do this. Well, I like how you mentioned there's this sorrow with Mormon over this situation, you know, over the people. And that reminds me a lot of in Moses chapter 7, Verse 28, when Enoch sees the Lord weeping for his people. And in verse 29, and Enoch said unto the Lord, How is it that thou canst weep, seeing that thou art holy, and from all eternity to all eternity? And we, you know, that gets, this section gets quoted a lot in the scriptures to show how genuine the Lord is and how concerned he is for our well-being and how our wickedness truly does bring him sadness because he's watching almost like, her potential gets squandered by us and give been given every opportunity and him continuously planning and, and seeding these prophets throughout time to continuously hurt us along and teach us and give us examples. And when one generation is so wicked that, that they can't raise kids in an objective manner and give them the opportunity to choose for themselves that they're so entrenched into bad wicked traditions he wipes them out so they can start over and even in that wipe out we know that they go to the spirit world where they will be taught and there's missionaries there and there's the opportunity to learn the right way and everybody's going to get an opportunity but even with all of that there's still sadness and i like <laughs> i don't know i like to think that we need to be familiar with disappointment you know it sounds 
I don't, I'm not trying to sound like a gloomy guest, but, but we, our Heavenly Father, He knows disappointment and He feels sadness and He can still weep, even though He's done nothing wrong. You know? He has such a love and empathy and ability to see the end from the beginning and see how these actions that you're cultivating right now would lead you to Moroni chapter 6 level of destruction or the solution I'm going to give you are these small actions that are going to lead you to being the happiest people in the world and it is for us to learn how to be patient how to be uh, have discipline and be diligent in knowing that the attributes of the gospel and the teachings of Jesus Christ as we cultivate them though they start out as a small seed and we have many scriptures that tell us this Start out small, great things come to pass. And the like, likewise, it's the same thing for wickedness. The small little things that creep in that we think are benign and, and don't matter may be the thing that sinks the ship entirely. That's why we're told to be vigilant, to talk about things. And one good way to keep ourselves sharp is the association that we have been asked to have with each other. And, and that is that the saints should meet together oft, that they should share the scriptures with each other, that they should speech, that where, where two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there also type of thing. That it, it, the, the spirit and the gifts of the spirit are for the benefit of men to enhance everybody, to help us stay above the water and to be able to see clearly. And um, it can be very tempting, especially during this COVID era, to feel like we have been given permission to take a break from the gospel or to take it easy. And it, and although some things are easier, you know, so, you know, you can watch uh, most sacrament meetings remotely. You don't have to attend in person. You can do some of this at home or you're doing it every other week attending. The, the, its power is not diminished if we ourselves carry that torch, if we continue to keep the sacred day, Sabbath day holy, if we continue to read our scriptures, if we continue to fill our day, the Lord will continue to make it powerful for us. As we have chaos around us, it can often distract us from our basic training. Our, our you know, in, in a good, a good soldier in this war of good and evil should always when it seems as chaos is is raining upon us and, and the social media and the news outlets and, and this and that is, is just screaming for our attention, it's okay to say, let's go back to what we know. Let's start at step one. Have I said my prayers this morning? No, 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 but you don't understand. The water bill is being passed. It's going to do this and it's going to, and, and they made masks that are going to poison people. No, no, no. Did you say your prayer this morning? Are you speaking with your Father in heaven? Are you at peace? Fill your life with that. Now you'll be able to think clearly to see, oh, okay, I need to go do this, and I'll be okay. You know, It's like we get tossed around a shaft in the wind when we have no anchor. And it's the perfect example is that we have our children in primary singing songs about building our house upon a rock 
or building on a sand. And when the rains come up, what happens? But we need to think about that. When the rains come, it's going to feel rainy. It's going to feel like a storm. It's, it's going to be harder to think clearly. What do we need to do? We need to go back to the rock, to the foundation, to the essentials, you know? Well, and that's what I feel the church has done with a lot of these changes. The reduce and simplify, it's not a reduction of the Lord's influence. It's a get to the essentials so you can maximize the Lord's influence in your life, wherever you are. So everywhere you go is your chapel. Yeah, I, I think it's the wise man and the foolish man both experienced the same storm. The storm was not rougher on the foolish man. It was the same storm. The difference is how, how they prepare for it. Where did they stand at the moment the storm arrived? And I think that that's what we're looking at. You have a people who are being decimated by their enemies in every battle, especially in chapter 6. He lists the groups of 10,000s of people, of soldiers, that are being wiped out. And that's the foolish man. That foolish man is just being wiped out. And then you have Mormon, who's the wise man, who all he can do is look around. And at the end of chapter 6, you know, he kind of has this lament. My soul was rent with anguish, it says in verse 16, because of the slain of my people. And I cried, O ye fair ones, how could ye have departed from the ways of the Lord? O ye fair ones, how could ye have rejected that Jesus who stood up with open arms to receive you? He's kind of like, in disbelief that that they never came around, that they never said, you know what, we ought to fortify our foundation a little bit, that they just kind of went with it. Even when the storm started getting worse and worse, no one said, hey, maybe we ought to go out and board the windows up. No, it was just like, oh, well, this is the way it is. And they just allowed it to continue to happen, even despite everything that they knew. I think, how does this apply to us? You know, how do we how do we apply this to us? Because obviously we're not in the same exact situation that, that Mormon is in. And I think I think kind of what Mormon is telling us is that is what the lesson is telling us, which is we can love others even if we don't agree with their choices. And we can live a righteous life even if everything else around us is too, is really crazy. And there's a quote in the uh, Sunday school manual for this section, loving others who believe differently. It's from uh, President Oaks. And he said, we should all follow the gospel teachings to, to love our neighbor and avoid contention. Followers of Christ should be examples of civility. We should love all people, be good listeners, and show concern for their sincere beliefs. Though we may disagree, we should not be disagreeable. Our stands and communications on topics should not be contentious. We should be wise in explaining and pursuing our positions and in exercising our influence. In doing so, we ask that others not be offended by our sincere religious beliefs and the free exercise of our religion. We encourage all of us to practice the Savior's golden rule. Whatsoever ye would that men should do to you, do ye even so to them. When our positions do not prevail, we should accept unfavorable results graciously and practice civility with our adversaries. How incredibly timely is that? <laughs> like... <laughs> We're in the middle of all of that right now. Well, even even if you don't look at the politics that are happening right now, there's so many things out there that are people trying to take a stand or people trying to push a position or an agenda. Some of that is okay. Some of that is good. Some of it is the right things that should be happening. 
change that is that is positive. Some of that we may disagree with. And his point here is it's okay to disagree, but not be disagreeable. Don't turn it into contention. When you're trying to to reinforce your position or your point, don't make it an argument. Don't make it a fight. Don't make it a you're an idiot or you're you're stupid because you think differently than me. No, they have a, a reason that they think that way. And just like we Imagine, would expect them to re, to respect our position, we should respect theirs. Imagine charity like used at that moment where you're able to see someone that is still of great worth, that still matters, that's still important enough that the Savior, if it was just them, the Savior would still have died for them. And the like the almost almost the first step in arguing nowadays seems to be you are irrelevant, you don't belong here. I'm not even gonna consider it. you're you're just nothing. You, I cannot even I don't even know why you're in this country, you know, whatever, right? There's always like this discrediting of you're just worthless. You know, and it's easy. It happens to all of us. I think about things like that when I argue with people, and 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 I have to think to myself, I have to slow down, and I have to think. I can't discredit a person. I can discredit them, and, and I'm not talking about credibility. Like, is this a credible source type of thing? But I think we dismiss individuals as if you no longer are even worthy of consideration. Like, like you shouldn't be. You shouldn't exist. You're a waste of space. Like our our hearts goes. Our, our arguments a lot go into this horrible place. Like we have murder in our hearts. I mean, I know that sounds really harsh, but we wish this person never was. You're the reason our boat is sinking. We don't need you on this boat. But no. even Christ paid attention to the Pharisees. Even he addressed their concerns and their questions. You know, these were people who wanted to completely discredit him on every turn. And even he was able to say... What 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 questions do you have for me? What concerns do you have about what I'm doing? You know, and let me explain to you clearly why I'm doing what I'm doing and who I am. And I think that's a great example. Even if it's someone who literally wants to just make you look like a fool, instead of fighting fire with fire, trust that the Lord will have his vengeance. Trust that the Lord will punish the, the wicked with the wicked, the unrighteous with the unrighteous. It's not your job to go in and Make everyone feel stupid or or demean everyone. That's not that's not the point. The Lord always at least gave them the, enough respect to answer them and address their their concerns. I think about this scripture because it's super powerful. Doctrine Covenant sixty four, section sixty four, verse nine and ten, where it says, "Wherefore I say unto you that ye ought to forgive one another, for he that forgiveth not his brother his trespasses." Standeth condemned before the Lord, for there remaineth in him the greater sin. And I, the Lord, will forgive whom I will forgive. But of you it is required to forgive all men. There aren't any exceptions built into that commandment. And there are people that will not be forgiven. But that is not for us to decide. The Lord will decide. But for us it is required to forgive all men. Imagine how much better our society was if we had more an attitude of forgiving each other. 
allowing people to make mistakes, allowing them to change, or even if they don't change, allowing that mistake not to rancor us. The Book of Mormon is truly the keystone of our religion, and that a man and woman will get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than by any other book. And if you then go and do what he would have you do, your power to trust him will grow. And in time, you will be overwhelmed with gratitude to find that he has come to trust you. There is no end to the good we can do, to the influence we can have with others. Let us not dwell on the critical or the negative. Let us pray for strength. Let us pray for capacity and desire to assist others. Let us radiate the light of the gospel at all times and in all places, that the Spirit of the Redeemer may radiate from us. My dear brothers and sisters, Jesus Christ invites us to take the covenant path back home to our heavenly parents and be with those we love. He invites us to come, follow me.